Our gracious Heavenly Father, oh Lord, our hearts are bursting with just a sense of thanksgiving to you and gratitude because you are a good and loving God. Oh Lord, you have lavished your blessings upon us. Lord, even in the baptisms that we've heard and these songs that we can sing to you, oh Lord, may they be an expression of our heartfelt worship to you and our gratitude for all that you've done. We will spend the rest of eternity as your people. Lord, and that is not going to be enough time to express our gratitude to you for all that you've done and for your infinite glory and majesty that you possess. I pray that today, Lord, even as we hear your word and as we seek to apply your word, Lord, that you would give us soft and tender listening ears and hearts, that we may receive the word implanted which is able to save our souls. We ask for your blessing upon this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at Colossians 3 and verse 20 this morning. The title of this morning's message and of our series for the next couple of weeks is going to be Faithful Christian Parenting. Faithful Christian Parenting. And if you remember, we are in the middle of a, of a series on the family We have looked at the relationship between wives and husbands in Colossians 3, verses 18 and 19. And now we've come to look at the relationship between children and parents in verses 20 and 21. And the Word of God says this in Colossians 3, 20. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Very basic, so succinct and so concise, these two verses. But it is important to recall that they come within a particular context. That is the instructions given that I just read to children and to wives and to husbands in verses 18 and 19 that comprise the Christian home are in the flow of chapter 3. Where we've seen, if you remember in Colossians 3, that those of us who are in Christ, who've turned from our sins and put our faith in Jesus Christ, are new creatures. We are a new creation. We are new people. Positionally, we've been made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. We've been reconciled to God, our Creator. And practically, we are in a process of becoming more and more Christ-like and more and more conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. But as we've seen, that takes active effort on our part. So negatively, as believers, we have been called to an aggressive mortification in the power of the Spirit of God. We saw that in verses 8 and following, where we are instructed there in Colossians 3.8, that now, as, as if we're putting off old clothing, metaphorically speaking, we are to be putting aside the deeds of the flesh, those things which characterized us before coming to know Jesus Christ. Look at verse 8. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. In verse 9, he says to put, us, to put aside lying to one another. Why? Because we have been now changed and we're being conformed according to the image, verse 10, of the one who created us. We're different people now. 
And we are to be putting aside those deeds of the flesh. And positively then, in verse 12, we are to be putting on Christ-like virtues. Look at verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. That's who we are positionally. We are holy, set apart from sin, and we are loved by God. And as such then, we are to be putting on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Verse 13, bearing with one another and practicing forgiveness toward one another. Just as the Lord forgave us, we are to be forgiving one another. In verse 14, we are to be putting on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. In verse 15, we are to be allowing the the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. In verse 16, we are to be letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. So that we're bleeding the word of Christ, if you will, every day of our lives. And then he sums it all up in verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. To do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus means to to do everything for the glory of Christ. Everything is for the glory of Christ now as Christians. That's what we are to be patterned after. And characterized by giving Him glory to be well-pleasing to Him. And in that context then, we have these instructions beginning in chapter 3 verse 18 to chapter 4 and verse 1. Where we are told what doing all in the name of the Lord Jesus looks like in what is called the Christian home. Or in the Christian context. First of all in the marriage relationship in verses 18 and 19. If you and I want to have a blessed happy marriage that in the midst of the struggles with our own sin is a a marriage that is that is uh, blessed by the lord and gains his favor then there are roles that we must live out wives he says in verse 18 are to be subject to their husbands they are to lovingly voluntarily willingly arrange themselves under their husbands husbands are to love their wives We know from Ephesians chapter 5 that we are to love our wives as Christ loves the church. And we are to be leading our wives and leading our families for the glory of God and for the benefit of our wives. That is the marriage relationship. And then in verses 20 and 21, we have the parent-child relationship. The parent-child relationship. It is a very important topic, isn't it? A very important topic. And I know that one that is very much at the forefront of many of you who are parents and many of you who are grandparents, that we would continue to be uh, a church full of families that practice faithful Christian parenting. So it's a very important topic, beloved. You know, last week we saw the devastating consequences of abortion, of abortion. In the slaughter of some 57 million unborn babies, which is a horrific thing. But equally terrifying is to see the the sad neglect by many, many parents all over the country. All over the country of their living children. Not only are there many kids growing up without a father and a mother in many places all over America. But in many households there is abuse. There is indifference. There is neglect by parents and their children. Many people view children 
as a burden, as a nuisance, as a curse upon them to be avoided. Which ultimately, of course, has led to so many abortions as well. Not valuing human life and not valuing children. It's typical in our country, isn't it? And you would think that in the church, Christian families would be starkly different. And in many cases, there are some stark differences because a family submits to, the, to God's word with reference to how to lead one's home and how to conduct parenting. But in many other cases, the, tra- the sad truth is that indifference and, and abuse and neglect is a reality in many homes, even so-called Christian homes. Parents and especially fathers, especially fathers who have the ultimate responsibility to train up their children, have all but abdicated their role as the primary disciple makers of their children. It's a sad, sad thing happening in our churches, beloved. They have forgotten that making disciples, listen, begins in our homes. It begins in our homes and flows out from the Christian household onto the church and to our community and neighborhoods. But it begins in our homes where we make disciples, where we train up the next generation, if you will. And I believe that at the heart of this neglect is the fact that many parents, perhaps many of us in here, have forgotten, beginning with us fathers, that children are a gift and a stewardship from God. A gift and a stewardship from God. Psalm 127 and Psalm 128 speaks of this. That children are a gift from the Lord. That the the fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. We have forgotten that children are a gift from the Lord. A gift from a loving and good God. And if that is so, then they are also a stewardship from God. Aren't they? They, are on, they don't belong to us. Children are on loan for a time. They belong to God and they've been given to us from God, from a loving and good God to train them up for a time and eventually work ourselves out of a job, if you will, as we shoot them off into society, into the world. So children are a gift and a stewardship from the Lord. But what does our culture tell us? Our culture tells us to spoil our children, to spoil them, to give them all that they want. Our culture tells us that that giving our children the American dream is the most important thing, to help them achieve everything that they want to achieve, personal greatness in this society. Our culture tells us that we ought to be training our kids in a way where they are, they're focused on accumulating wealth and riches and experience on this earth, and that that's what happiness consists of, which it doesn't. None of those things can ever satisfy any child or any young person or any adult for that matter. But our culture tells us that. Or on the other hand, as I've mentioned, our culture tells us that children are to be avoided, that they are a hindrance to our personal uh, life goals and fulfillment. And so we see that at the heart of both of these extremes of spoiling your children rotten with the wrong kinds of things and pointing them to the wrong kinds of things, or on the other hand, of neglecting them altogether, both, I believe, are rooted in the fact that we've forgotten the fact that children are a gift from a good and loving God and a stewardship from God. And we have a responsibility to train them up 
according to God's Word and the glory of God. Well, what does God say, beloved, to parents and to children? Amidst a changing culture, and a culture that is more and more opposed to the truth of the Word of God, God gives us very simple, clear instructions here, doesn't He? Look at verse 20 again. He says, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And then verse 21, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Here we have two commands, one in verse 20 and one in verse 21. And we're going to focus our attention on this first command given to us in verse 20. A positive command to children to be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. We're going to be focusing on that command, verse 20, this week and next week. And then in two Sundays, we're going to be focusing on the second command in verse 21. A very convicting one for us as parents. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. But as we look at this first command in verse 20, I want you to notice four aspects of of this particular command. Four aspects that we need to pay attention to. And we're going to look at these from Colossians chapter 3, as well as the parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 6, okay? The first aspect of obedience that I want you to notice, the importance of obedience. The importance of obedience. He says, children, be obedient to your parents in all things. Notice who he addresses himself to. Children. Children would have been sitting out as this letter was read from the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God wrote this letter. And children would have been sitting out similar to a congregation like this, listening to these words. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. Unless any child in here hears that and thinks, well, he's probably talking to toddlers or little ones, right? Because in our culture, when we hear the word child or children, uh, it points to somebody who is a lot younger. But that word, tekna, ta tekna there in verse 20, does not point to a particular age group here. This is a general broad word which refers to any child under the oversight, protection, and provision of his or her parents. It is broad enough then to include any small child or young child or young teenager still living under their parents' roof, if you will. So whether you are young or older, this applies to you if you are under the parental authority of um, your father and your mother. He says, children, be obedient to your parents in all things. That word be obedient there is the word in Greek, hupakuntes. It's made up of two words, to hear and under. To hear and under. Literally, to hear under someone else. And it refers to listening intently in order to follow someone. Listening deliberately with an intent to to obey or to arrange yourself under what they are saying. It refers to voluntarily, willingly putting yourself under someone else's authority. Implicit in this, in this term is authority and submission. And I would say loving authority and loving submission. So basic, isn't it? So simple, so concise. And yet what complicates matters is that We have major, major issues today in our society, especially if they had it then in the days of Paul. We have it in today's world as well, beloved, where we are living in a society where authority has become a bad word. It's become a cuss word almost. 
Anti-authority is the name of the game in our society. People don't want to be accountable to anyone else. People want to be autonomous. The idea in our country especially is that we have to fight for our rights. We can do whatever we want. People want to be autonomous, as we said last week. People don't want to be accountable to anyone, to answer to anyone. My choices are my choices. That is the prevailing mindset. And you can see that even in the world of youth today, more and more. Youth who make choices with little or no thought as to how actions actually impact others. This is the mood of the age, beloved. The mood of the age. And we need to understand this. If we are going to be training up our children to walk in loving obedience to parental authority. Loving parental authority. See, the world doesn't shape our view of authority. Though times have changed, God's word does not change, does it? It doesn't change. And as was the case 2,000 years ago, so God says today, children, if you want to receive blessing, obey your parents in all things. In all things. Not just when it's convenient. Not just when a child um, agrees with the opinions of his or her parents. Children, obey your parents in all things. But why is obedience so important? Why is obedience so important? Let me give you three reasons, okay? First of all, obedience is important for the simple and ultra-important fact that God, the only lawmaker, requires it. God, as lawmaker, requires it. He is the one who calls the shots. This is very hard for people to accept in today's day and age. Why? Because we are living in a Romans 1 type of society where we are under the wrath of God and people don't want to have to answer to God. They do not acknowledge Him as God or give thanks, but they became fu- become futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts are darkened. And one of the manifestations of that is disobedience to parents. People don't want to be accountable to their Creator. They want to be autonomous. And yet God, the creator, the sovereign ruler and sustainer of this universe, says to children, with all authority, children, obey your parents in all things. It's a present tense command. Live continually obeying, characteristically obeying your parents. When you think about this, And God the Creator is giving that instruction and that command. This is not subject to interpretation, is it? It's not optional. It's not dependent on whether a child agrees with his or her parents or doesn't. God requires that children obey their parents. He has all authority. He is your maker and my maker. But I want you to notice, secondly, the second reason that obedience is important is because God in His goodness, blesses children who obey. Not only as lawmaker does He require it, and thus it's important and a non-negotiable, but He blesses you if you obey your parents. Not only does He command obedience, but He grants favor upon those who, who follow His command. And this is seen in Ephesians chapter 6. If you can turn there just a couple of pages back. In Ephesians chapter 6, I want you to see this. It's beautiful. 
Because Paul, in instructing children to obey their parents in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, also reminds children of the fact that God blesses those who honor and obey their parents. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And here it is. So that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Notice this. That in commanding children to obey their parents, Paul quotes from Exodus chapter 20, where the Ten Commandments appear. And he quotes the Fifth Commandment, which is the first to deal with with right human relationships on the horizontal level. The first four commandments essentially deal with our vertical relationship with God. But beginning with the Fifth Commandment, we're talking now about horizontal relationships. And at the top of the list, commandment number five is honor your father and mother. This is how important that parent-child relationship is. But of particular importance, I want you to note, here in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 3, is that there is a promise of blessing for children who obey their parents, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Quality and quantity of life is, is promised there. Take note of God's goodness. Take note of God's love. That he commands children to obey their parents, but not just because he says so, but because he will bless those children who do so. God is not arbitrary about his commands, not giving any reason or benefit for children for following his commands. Walking in obedience is for his glory and their good, for the benefit of the child. So listen. Children who obey their parents are ultimately doing what is best for themselves as well. Think about that. If you're a child today or a young person, think about that. When you obey the Lord and, and, and obey your parents and honor your parents, you are actually acting on behalf of your own best interests. Right? Why? Because if you obey the Lord... And obey your parents and honor your parents. God is going to bless you. He promises to do good to you. Whether that's going to look in the, the, the way that you define it is another thing. But he promises quality and quantity of life. Perhaps not just in this world, but in the world to come for those who are in Christ Jesus. He promises blessings to you. That's why it's important. Because he requires it. Because he promises to bless you. But thirdly, obedience is important because the Bible warns against disobedience. God, as the ultimate judge, will judge those who disobey their parents and bring punishment upon them. Listen, God takes disobedience and dishonor seriously. In fact, a failure to obey one's parents is the same as dishonoring God himself. Disobeying God Himself. And in the Old Testament, it was punishable by death to dishonor or disobey one's parents. Listen to Exodus chapter 21 and verse 15. It says, He who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. 
So to physically hurt one's father or verbally abuse one's mother or parents was punishable in the Old Testament by death. Think about that. How serious is dishonor and disobedience to one's parents? Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 21. You don't have to turn there. Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 18 says this. If any man has a stubborn and rebellious son or daughter, you might say, who will not obey his father or his mother, and when they chastise him, he will not even listen to them. Then his father and mother shall seize him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gateway of his hometown. They shall say to the elders of his city, This son of ours is a stubborn, is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death. So you shall remove the evil from your midst, and all Israel will hear of it and fear. This is how serious God considers disobedience and dishonor. Take note. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul, writing to Timothy, says that one of the characteristics of the last days of the end times is going to be disobedience to parents. Children who don't characteristically obey their parents. And in Romans 1.30, one of the characteristics of, a, of being given over to a depraved mind is children who disobey their parents. So, beloved, listen, why is obedience to one's parents important? Because God, the lawgiver, commands it and requires it. But also, He, as the, a good and loving God, blesses children who obey their parents. And then finally... Because there are consequences from God Himself for children who do not obey their parents and honor their parents. Now secondly, I want you to notice the motivation for obedience. Not only is obedience important, but I want you to see the motivation for obedience. We're going to expand upon this next week even more so, but I want you to take note in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 20 what he says. Children... Be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. There's the reason introduced by that word for there, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. There's a reason or motivation for children to be obedient in all things. Why should children obey their parents? It is because of the Lord. Because of the Lord. The idea is there, there, there is for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. In fact, this is the motivation, glory to God. This is the motivation not only for children, but for everyone in this particular context, as well as in Ephesians chapter 5, the parallel passage to this passage in Colossians 3. Every person within the household, wives, husbands, children, masters, slaves, are exhorted to a particular action, all having to do ultimately because of the Lord. Notice in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, we're told that whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. What does it mean to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus? Is to do it for His glory. Everything that we do in life, all act of obedience, is ultimately not, to, not for our own self-righteousness sake, but because of the fact that we want to bring glory to God, whatever we do. And then look at verse 18. Wives, 
Be subject to your husbands. Here it is. As is fitting in the Lord. Because this is what is appropriate before the Lord. This is what is right before the Lord. Verse uh, in chapter five of Ephesians, husbands are instructed to love their wives and they're told why or how just as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word nourishes and cherishes the church. So husbands are to love their wives just as Christ loves the church and for Christ. Colossians 3.22, notice, slaves are to obey their masters. Why? Fearing the Lord. Because they reverence the Lord. Verse 23, whatever you do, do your work heartedly as for the Lord rather than for men. It's all for the Lord, beloved. Verse 24, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Ultimately, everything that we do, even fulfilling our roles in the Christian household, is for the purpose of bringing glory to Him and serving Christ. Chapter 4, verse 1 of Colossians. Masters are to remember in their dealings with slaves that they too have a master in heaven. It is all unto the Lord. So you want to know what the ultimate motivation for obedience is? It is the glory of God. And this is why, beloved, one of the the chief evidences of a child's true conversion when they have been born again is that they want to obey. They want to obey. Up until that point, we are teaching them to obey. We are training them. We are pointing them in a direction. And we should continue to train them to obey and to honor. But we understand that the heart may not always be there. But one of the chief Uh, evidences of the fact that that child has come to to know the Lord in a genuine saving way is that now they want to obey. They struggle to obey. As believers now, they won't want to just obey because they want something from their parents, because they want their parents off their back, or because they want to appear a certain way. They want to obey because they want to bring glory to God who has saved them and has been so good and loving to them. That's why they want to obey. Can you remember prior to, your, to, your, to being born again, right? What life was like? If you were a church attender as I was, as a, as a kid and as a young teenager, memorizing all of the Awana verses that I can think of, right? For the awards and the accolades. I wanted to obey and to appear a certain way externally for fear of people, of people looking at me and thinking negatively of me. I was concerned about what people thought. Or I wanted my parents off my back. Or I wanted to be accepted by other people. I wasn't doing it for the glory of God. I wasn't doing it to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ who had saved me. Because He wasn't my Lord and He wasn't my Savior. But when He saved me and there was that collision with Jesus Christ, I was never the same again. And even in the midst of my struggles, there was one singular passion that I would return to. And I'm sure you can attest to this as a believer. And it is this. You want to bring glory to the Lord in all of your obedience, right? You want to bring glory to Him. And even if that obedience costs you your friends, even if that obedience costs you people liking you or not, even if that obedience costs you not being popular anymore, or you having to completely change your life pursuits and your purposes and your goals, you want to bring glory to God no matter what the cost. And that is the case 
for a child. We train them to obey and to honor their parents, but we recognize, beloved, that ultimately until God saves them, they won't always be doing it for the right reasons to glorify God in their lives. But this is the aim, isn't it? The chief end of every man and woman is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's why God has created us. Those theologians got it right. To, jo- to have joy and, and feast in the majesty of God and serve Him forever and ever. That is why we were created. So the motivation for obedience is the glory of God. Now, there is a third um, Aspect of obedience. And we're going to end here and then extend it into next week, okay? And I want you to go to the parallel passage of Ephesians 6 to see this. Ephesians chapter 6. The third aspect of obedience are the agents of obedience. The agents of obedience. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, and take note, Fathers, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. We're going to see that in a couple of weeks. But here's the responsibility. As agents, as instruments in the hands of God in the lives of our children, what is our responsibility as agents of obedience? It is to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring up our children. The idea there is to bring up to maturity. To develop our children, if you will. On the one hand, children, as we've made the point, are accountable before the Lord and responsible for obeying their parents. But we know that this is not going to happen automatically, right? The text doesn't say, leave them alone. They'll come around. Eventually, they'll get their act together, right? There's good in all of them. It says, bring them up. There's an active engaging. Parents, beloved, are responsible as God's agents for enforcing obedience in the lives of our children. James Montgomery Boyce writes this, The obligation is not just on the part of the child who is to obey, but also on the parent who is to enforce obedience. And this begins with fathers. There's a reason why I believe that Paul uses the term their fathers, translated fathers in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. It's not that the mother doesn't, isn't engaged in this, but ultimately, ultimately, fathers take the lead role as we've seen in the roles within the Christian home in the past few weeks, that the fathers are ultimately responsible for shepherding their families. Fathers take the lead. Parents, beginning with fathers, become God's agents who proactively teach their children to obey. And the reason for this proactive engaging in this task of, of, of bringing up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, beloved, is very obvious, isn't it? It is because of the doctrine of human depravity. Because of the doctrine of human depravity which says that each person is born into this world a sinner by nature. A sinner by nature. The wicked are estranged from the womb. Every person born into this world is a sinner by nature. Not every person manifests a full capacity 
of their own sin is as sinful as can be, but the capacity for any sin is in each and every human being born into this world. So there are varying degrees of manifestation. God gives certain people over to the fullness of the expression of their own sin. But every aspect of our being, beloved, is affected and marred and impacted by sin. The doctrine of human depravity. Scripture affirms it, doesn't it? Psalm 51 and verse 5 says, Behold, writes David, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. David hadn't popped out of the womb yet. And he's saying, from the womb, I was already by nature a sinner. By nature a sinner. Romans chapter, or or Psalm 58 verse 3 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. Those who speak lies go astray from the womb. From conception, if you will, as we saw last week. Romans chapter 3. Look at that text. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and following. Talks about the fact that all humans, every single human being born into this world, there is none good. There is not even one. There is none righteous. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. Not even one. All of us are by nature sinners, and that is why we sin. So because of the doctrine of human depravity, beloved, because every child born into this world is a sinner by nature, then we must be proactive in bringing up our children. All of this means that human beings, listen to me, left to themselves, human beings have a natural propensity toward sin. A natural inclination toward sin. Yes, this goes for the cute little newborn baby that we hold in our arms, to the teens that we raise, to us as adults left to ourselves. If it weren't for the grace of God, our propensity is to move towards sin. I mean, just to get a show of hands, how many of you as parents have had have had training workshops or sessions of of education to train your kids how to disobey how many of us anyone no i'll tell you what no one had to train me how to disobey no one i was a little rocking wicked rotten wicked little guy from the get-go no one had to train me to disobey from birth we cry out me 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 i want i want i want Yes, even that little baby is a selfish little creature. Sorry, mamas. <laughs> Possessive, wanty, and self-serving, right? We don't naturally put others before ourselves. From the very moment of our first cry, that first cry is a manifestation of, give me what I want or this is going to be the rest of your life, <laughs> right? <laughs> Amen? That goes for us too. So parents, even the baby thought it was funny. (laughs) So parents become God's primary agents for helping their children to mature and to grow up. In fact, that is the sense of that word in Ephesians 6 for nourish. It has to do with bringing up to maturity of of developing that, that child. And the question should be asked, what does this bringing up involve? What does this bringing up involve? 
According to Ephesians 6, 4, if you notice, there are a couple of modifiers there. Modifying, bringing up. He says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That word discipline is the word paideia in the Greek. It is a general broad word that refers to all aspects of, of child training or education. The term has to do with, with training in action. Training in action and active training, not just intellectual or mental or theoretical, but training in good behavior as well. It is an active training. It can be a positive instruction or a negative chastening. As such, as far as the negative component here, it came to be used in in Jewish writings to include physical correction as well. Not just verbal chastening, but also including the idea of physical discipline or physical chastening. So it was all inclusive in that word discipline, paideia, of, of, of um, verbal chastening as well as physical correction or chastening. The second word, he says, an instruction of the Lord. And in the instruction of the Lord, that's the word nuthesia, from which, which we get nuthetic counseling, if you will. It's the idea of putting or placing in the mind. To put or place in the mind. It is also a, a word that has to do with instruction. It's got a corrective connotation as well. But the focus is on, is on teaching and on speaking the truth to someone. Of informing the child's thinking, if you will. Of depositing the truth, of imparting the truth into a child so that they may learn to think in accordance with God's word. It also has a connotation of warning or cautioning them by means of the truth when they have strayed from the path that honors the Lord. So listen, both of these words, discipline and instruction, refer to this this comprehensive training, if you will, this comprehensive education that parents are to be actively engaged in with regards to their children. And they include both verbal instruction and physical correction is involved as well. Now I realize... That physical discipline and physical correction is a bad word in our culture. Many people today, I know, I've read much of the literature, are opposed to the idea of what we would refer to as physical discipline or what we might say in our circle as spanking. People would say that this is nothing short of child abuse. That the potential for these kinds of, this kind of physical activity, this kind of physical correction, can leave a child scarred for life, say the psychologists. That if we want to, to have kids that have a high self-esteem and who understand their value and self-worth, we will refrain from such activity that is ultimately evil and authoritarian in nature. We want our kids not to have low self-esteem. We want to help them realize themselves. Say the psychologist and the behavioral therapist, don't spank, don't physically discipline. Well, that would be fine, except for the fact that the Word of God is clear with this word discipline, that a non-negotiable, listen to me parents, a non-negotiable component of training children is the corrective rod, is physical discipline. Scripture is clear that children need both verbal instruction, verbal warning, and physical discipline that is corrective in nature to help them and to get their attention in the training of righteousness. 
In particular, the Proverbs are full of instructions about the need for wisdom and, and what wise living looks like, even in the case of how we parent our children, how we raise our children. What do the Proverbs say to us about this area of training our children in the discipline and admonition of the Lord? Well, the Proverbs tell us that if we love our child, if you love your child, then the Proverbs say that you will discipline them verbally and physically. Proverbs 13, verse 24. Listen to this. He who withholds his rod hates his son. But he who loves him, he who loves him, loves her, disciplines him or her, what? Diligently. Diligently. We are told in the Proverbs that to withhold the rod is like putting the nail on the coffin of your child's death. Ready for this? Proverbs 19.18 Discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. Who desires their child's death? Well, the Proverbs 19.18 says that when we withhold the rod, it's as if we are essentially doing that. If you understand the spiritual sickness of your child, and I understand the spiritual wickedness of, of my child's heart, then we will discipline him or her. Proverbs 22, verse 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Oh, pastor, but you're going to hurt him. You're going to hurt her really bad. Listen to Proverbs twenty three thirteen. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. Listen to that. Would we withhold discipline, loving discipline from a child to warn them and to get their attention? And be concerned, most concerned about them liking us or whether they are going to, 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 um, to hate us for it. Or we would prefer to not discipline them and have them go to Sheol. Which do you prefer? Where are we to discipline? Listen to Proverbs 19.29. Judgments, judgments, literally rods, are prepared for scoffers and blows for the back of fools. For the back of fools. That's the idea of, of the hind parts, if you will. The back of fools, the hind parts. Proverbs 26 and verse 3. A whip is for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. But listen, their little tushy is going to hurt if you do that. What do you think is the point? Right? To get their attention. As one pastor has said, there is a lot of padding back there. A lot of petting, more than some of us actually need. I believe that God has put it there for a reason, he says. And so from the time, beloved, that our children come out of the womb and they're old enough to understand the, reason, the difference between right and wrong and to hear an instruction and they understand what they are doing, then we are to be enforcing uh, uh, in a, in a, as an act of obedience to our Heavenly Father appropriate and measured correction for our kids. And of course, as they grow up, physical correction subsides progressively and more verbal instruction and warning takes, takes place. 
and other forms of correction and consequences, but they are always while under our roof, beloved, to be disciplined, to be corrected. Why? Why? Because that is life, isn't it? In the scriptures we see over and over again that God blesses and rewards obedience. But God curses and gives consequences for disobedience. We learn that in the word of God. And we learn that in society doing that. In society. And the home is the primary training ground, beloved, for us to teach reward for obedience and consequences for disobedience. If they don't learn it in the home, where are they going to learn it otherwise? Listen, they are going to go out into the world and they are going to have a rude awakening, aren't they? A rude awakening. It's an evil and wicked world out there. A very not gracious kind of world. If we don't train them in the home, home, they're going to have a rude awakening out in society. See, in the home, they may get a spanking and cry for a while. And then you comfort them and there's love and and there's an expression there of why you did it. Because you care about them and, and you love them and you want to help them honor the Lord. Or there may be a corrective method that you use taking something away from your child, younger or older. In the home, there may be those things as consequences. But what happens out in society? They may lose a job because of laziness, right? They may lose a job because of a lack of diligence. They may drop out of school and not get an education because of the fact that they they don't like to study hard. They may, listen to me, they may lose their wife or their husband because they don't know how to control their lusts. And so we correct them in the home so that that doesn't happen down the line, beloved. Down, out in the world, they can lose their livelihood, lose their job, lose their spouse, lose their whole family. Because the, the, thing, the, the heart that they are cultivating right now and the here and now is going to have direct ramifications for the type of person they will be someday. And you and I, as far as long as they are under our roof, we must lovingly come alongside of them and correct them and discipline them so that, that we get their attention. It is for their well-being, isn't it? For their well-being. What is the motive of all of this? It is love, isn't it? Love. Sometime read Hebrews chapter 13, uh, 12, verses 3 through 11, where it talks there about uh, the, the writer of Hebrews is writing to, to Jewish believers who are in danger of returning back to Judaism. And he writes to them and they're experiencing persecution. And he says to them, listen, don't turn back. And in the context there in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11, he begins to talk to them about the relationship that they have with their father who disciplines them for their good based upon a relationship that he has with them as believers. Now, as his children, he disciplines them for their good. And he disciplines them so that they might bear the fruitful pea, uh, the, the, the fruit of righteousness in their lives. And he asks there, what father is there who does not discipline his own child? Right? And of course, the lesson to, for us as parents is as we watch our heavenly father deal with us as his children, because he loves us and he disciplines us then we ought to be engaging our children as well and disciplining them because we love them, because we care for them. As earthly fathers, certainly we fall short and we fail and we will sin. 
But our desire should be for the good of our children, to discipline them and engage them, beloved. So listen, the Bible commands us as parents to discipline our children for His glory and for their good. This discipline is to be controlled, controlled, not out of control, in the rage of anger, vindictive, condemnatory. And how many of us have not been in sin at different times in our parenting for doing that? For being out of control? That is not godly discipline that God commands, is it? No. And in case you're sitting here justifying yourself, I want you to know, if you are a parent who is characterized by a pattern of uncontrolled rage, and that's how you discipline your child, whether verbally or even physically, you need to repent and ask for God's forgiveness. And not only God's forgiveness, but you need to ask for your child's forgiveness. Anger never accomplishes what God desires, does it? We can give testimony to that by our experience, right? James chapter 1, verse 20 says, For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. We cannot achieve what God desires by angry expressions. And so if that is what we do, beloved, we need to repent and confess our sin to God and ask for His forgiveness and ask the forgiveness of our children, young or older, whether they be toddlers or whether they be young teenagers. Listen, we need to humble ourselves, some of us as parents, beginning with us as fathers, humbling ourselves before the Lord and before our children. I've had to do that many, many a time. Listen, we want to model the gospel for our kids, model the beauties of the gospel, and invest and deposit the truth of the gospel into their heads. But you know what is a contradiction? A father or a mother who doesn't know how to humbly repent before them. That is an affront to the gospel, an affront and a contradiction. Because one of the greatest ways that we we model and and exemplify the gospel before our our wives and our kids, especially as husbands, is by being broken before them when we sin and we blow it so that our children don't get mixed signals that this is okay, righteous behavior. And call it what it is. If you have blown it, let them know, baby, my little toddler, that action from daddy and mommy was sinful, that was wrong, that was rebellious, and that didn't honor Jesus at all. And those are the reasons, that is part of the reason why Jesus had to come and die for me because of those types of sins. I want you to know that I don't want you to grow up to be that way because that is not being Christ-like. So that beloved, they're not confused. That, hey, well, that's just my father's personality. Or my mother's personality. No, that is godless, sinful, and wicked. And we need to confess it to God and confess it to our children, beloved, and ask for their forgiveness. Listen, that's how we can model the gospel for our kids, right? Through humble repentance before the Lord and before them. Because what is a Christian after all? What is a Christian after all? A Christian is somebody who has, who has been reconciled to God, their maker, 
right? By faith in Jesus Christ, there is a relationship with the living God that we have now. But a Christian, listen to me, is also someone who has a different relationship with sin now. Not just with God, but with sin. That we hate our sin. That we don't want to fall into sin. That we struggle to be holy and to be righteous and to be Christ-like. And our children need to see that. Not only does my daddy or my mommy or my dad or my mom or pops or mama have a right relationship with God now by faith in Jesus Christ, but they hate their sin. Even when they sin against me, they're willing to come and humble themselves and ask for my forgiveness because they love Christ. Some of us need to do that today, beloved. As an application of this message, we need to come to our kids and humbly come before them. Or perhaps some of you who are older and your kids are out of the home, perhaps this is convicting you as well. Maybe you need to come to your kids and let them know that now as a person who is born again in Christ, you are so sorry and you're asking for their forgiveness for the way that you sinned against them. And that they shouldn't be the same with their own kids now. So the Bible commands us to discipline our children for His glory and our good, and their good. It is to be controlled. It is to be corrective in nature, to get their attention, so that they might be reminded that, that disobedience will have consequences, and obedience brings reward. And it is to be consistent, consistent, diligent diligent because when we are not diligent we're sending mixed signals to them listen beloved this is our primary task as parents isn't it it is hard work but the home is the primary training ground for children parents are not called to leave their children alone to maintain their children to babysit their children to give their children all that they want, to give them the American dream. Too many parents, beloved, are consumed with providing all the opportunities and all the experiences for their kids that they need in life because they need to have fun and have a lot of friends in life and experience everything the world has to offer because that's what's going to make them happy. They will never be content with all of that stuff. Never. It's okay to have those experiences. It's okay to be involved in sports. It's okay to be involved in all of those fun things. But if you are not providing spiritual nurture for your children, you are missing the command of God here. If you are not spiritually nourishing your children, it doesn't matter how many experiences you expose them to, you're missing your first and foremost priority and responsibility. And next week, we're going to start to look at what the spiritual nurture entails in very practical practical ways as far as what are we to be depositing into the minds and the hearts of our kids so make sure that you are here okay as we talk about shepherding the heart and where the gospel fits into all of this talking about saturated gospel parenting that we must be striving for beloved what's the goal of parenting think about it our goal is not successful parenting our goal is not to save our children Ultimately, that's in God's hands. Well, as I said, next year we're going to talk about gospel saturation in our parenting. But you know what the goal of parenting is? Faithfulness to the Lord and His Word. Faithfulness to the Lord and His Word. Faithfulness to teach and to train and to model Christ for our children. That's the goal of parenting. And listen, for those of us who have grown up 
in broken homes or what we might call dysfunctional homes, however you define that, or lack examples in this area, you need to seek help. Seek help. This is why discipleship in the church is so crucial, isn't it? Humble yourself and seek for help. The church can strengthen the family infrastructure by providing Titus two types of older, investing into the younger types of relationships. But you need to make the first step and and humble yourself and ask for help. Ask for help. And for others of you who, who are in a position to help, especially those of you who are older, adopt a young couple or struggling parents into your life. Adopt a young couple. Don't think this message does not apply to you. You're planning on not being here next week because you're, you're past your parenting years. This applies to you directly because you have a responsibility to uphold these principles and the basic family infrastructure that God has designed. Churches are comprised of strong families. And so we are all to be committed to this and in the battle to uphold the Christian family. Amen? All of us are involved in this. So consider how you can help another family by investing into them who are struggling in the midst of your struggles and your victories. And some of us, as I said, beginning with us fathers, need to repent of sinful neglect in this area, of chucking off our responsibility to the church, to youth workers, to other people, of abdicating our role as the primary shepherds of our families of passivity, of lazy parenting, of just maintaining your kids. You need to repent of that. Confess it before the Lord. Ask for His forgiveness and for His renewal that you might be a parent who engages your family and raises your kids in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. See, beloved, the pathway to Christ-exalting change begins with humble repentance, doesn't it? Humble repentance. Before the Lord. Perhaps you're sitting in here and you say, you know what, man, how can I even begin to be a faithful spouse or a parent if I'm living in sin for myself and not for Christ? You need to repent of your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where you need to begin. You need to cry out to God that he may forgive you. Trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Call upon the name of the Lord today that you may be saved. That's where Christ-exalting life begins. That you may be the type of a father or mother that you need to be, the type of a spouse that you need to be. It begins by getting your act together before the Lord, by being made right with God, and He's provided a sacrifice as a substitute for your sins in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in Jesus today. Call upon the name of the Lord that you may be saved. That's where that begins. And for the rest of us, God's grace is sufficient, isn't He? His grace is sufficient. His power is perfected in our weakness, beloved. Let us walk dependently upon Him. Let us seek for His Spirit's empowering in our lives. Let us go to His Word, the divine blueprint for how to be godly husbands and and godly wives and parents and churchmen and church ladies and single people. Let us go to Him. Amen? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, your word is so clear and so basic. And Lord, because of our sin, how we corrupted and twisted. And how wayward we go from your path. I pray that, Father, we might today be convicted of our sin.
that we might anew be people who are empowered by your spirit and by your grace and guided by your holy word and being the types of parents that we must be. I pray that for all of us, that we might uphold the need for strong families in our church because ultimately, Lord, we are one body, one temple, one spiritual family for those of us who are in Christ. Lord, help us to all be in this battle together. For your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.